Good evening, everybody. It's Mario, and I want to thank you for joining Motorcycle Knuckle Busters here. So, uh, once again, we've got another great episode. Great, great guest here. Uh, for people who know him, know that he's a character. For the, those that don't know him, you're about to learn that he is indeed a character. So, great guy with a lot of uh, a lot of wonderful, incredible accomplishments under his belt and everything. We're going to talk about those and, and a little bit about his life. So, without further ado, I want to introduce Bubba Blackwell. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I hey, like Bubba. Where'd you get that from? <laughs> I, I, you know, we'll let people make up their own mind by the end of this, and I think they'll come to a summary of the, yeah, he's a character. So, because <laughs> uh, I broke too many helmets. <laughs> just a few, just a yeah. few. So, so, um, Bubba, you know, there's been, you know, we we were talking a while back ago, and you've you've made a lot of changes, and we'll we'll get to all of that and stuff, but. Um, for people that don't know, how would you describe how would you describe the career before this current one that you had? How how would you tell people who you are that don't know already? Um, I would probably say I was a I was a punk kid from nowhere, Alabama, with a lot of ambition. Loved to ride a motorcycle and didn't go to college. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just a motorcycle <laughs> daredevil. Hey, I'll jump a Harley. Evil did it. I, I ought to be able to figure that out, right? And, exactly. Um, that's pretty much it. Just tell them I'm a motorcycle daredevil. Jump stuff on a on a Harley Davidson because, uh, well, because you know nobody else was doing it. Exactly. And then, so now, how long did you jump motorcycles? I mean, from professionally. I I know uh, you would have been jumping before it was professional, but professionally, how long did you jump? Actually, my last real job was in 1995, and I uh, I started jumping in 94. I was a Coca-Cola route salesman, and on the weekends, we'd load up, and we'd go to a stock car track or something like that, and I would, uh, I would do a smaller jump on an XR750 Harley-Davidson motorcycle, which is quite possibly the coolest bike on the planet. And, yep. uh, you know, I figured out a way to get to ride one because I sucked as a racer. So at least I could ride one and jump over cars and people would dig it. And there wasn't too many people doing it at the time. And everybody remembered Evil Knievel. And it started getting more and more popular and um, had the opportunity to, you're going to keep working or you're going to pursue this. And I went to the motorcycle thing with the blessing of Coca-Cola. I had moved up in Coca-Cola. I'd become a. Uh, account manager at a company car, uh, dressed nice every day. And uh, to my surprise, I absolutely hated it. And right. uh, the motorcycle thing was getting more popular and I was getting more calls and the money was getting much better. And so I came to that crossroads, sat down with my bosses at Coca-Cola. And to my surprise, they said, Hey man, if I was you, I'd go for it. And uh, at that time, my boss was a, a fellow by the name of Kenny Spikes. Kenny Spikes had gone to college on a baseball scholarship. And he said, man, I always wanted to know if I had what it took to go to the big leagues. I got a great opportunity to go to work. I took it and lived the rest of my life wondering. He said, I said, go for it. If it doesn't work out, just come back. And with that kind of a blessing, I went for it. And my last motorcycle jump was October 24, 2020. So it lasted a long time. It sure did. It really did. Surprising. So, so Kenny Spikes, I love that because, man, does that sound like a baseball player's name? It or sounds what? like one to me. Absolutely. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like those old turn of the century baseball players back in the day, you know, with the handlebar mustaches and stuff. So <laughs> exactly. He probably should have been a baseball player. Yeah. So I want to bring up. I want to start, so I want to kind of go through some things with you and everything, and I want to start popping up some pictures, and uh, we're going to go to this first picture. So tell me about this picture, because this is, uh, I know, you know, I come from a family that was very involved in racing and everything else, so when I see pictures like this, you know, it just kind of, it always touches my heart. Yeah, that's a really good one there. That, that, that too, brings back a lot of emotion. Uh, that's my dad, my mom, and my sister. Uh, it's my sister, Tammy. She's my biggest fan. Uh, my okay. mom and dad aren't with us anymore, but... Uh, Sorry to hear that's, that. That's me there. My dad's holding me up. I guess I'd fallen asleep. The races were over with. My dad was a stock car racer at Mobile International Speedway. He went by the name Snake. Everybody call him Snake Blackwell. 
And, okay. Uh, and uh, he was really good. Uh, he he went on. He raced motorcycles there, and and actually, believe it or not, my dad jumped a motorcycle over some cars one night and uh, did it one time. It scared the crap out of him, and he swore he'd never do it again. And for whatever reason, I kind of got exposed to it after uh, you know after quite a few years. And you know, my dad was a huge supporter. Uh, he thought what I was doing was really good. It was well thought out. And, um, but I think it got so much bigger than he ever thought it would. I, I kind of thought sure. he thought this would be like a flash in the pan. I'd have some fun, hopefully not get hurt. And, um, then I'd go back to whatever was going to be a real job. But, uh, next thing you know, we're finding ourselves on the tonight show or in Las Vegas doing a TV show. And I think he got just as blown away by it as I did. Absolutely. I can't, I can't imagine the pride uh, that he would have had in you, but you know, also there would have been always this fear and trepidation about what you were doing because you're his boy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see that a lot more now that I've slowed down and, you know, I've got an older daughter, Reagan, she's 16. I've got a new baby girl that's two and a half who is absolutely bananas. This little girl <laughs> literally has zero fear. And, uh, oh, man, I mean, she's going to make me old before I'm officially old. She's really, she's, she's, a, she's, a, she's going to be a terror. You guys get ready. Her name is Harley Blackwell, and I guarantee you're going you're gonna to know her name one day. Oh, I can't wait. Well, well you know what? So we're, we're going to make sure that somewhere years down the road, we're going we're gonna to hold a slot in an episode for her. How's that? Oh, it's going to happen. She's, she's bananas. She loves motorcycles motorcycle fanatic but with a name like harley it's kind of born in right <laughs> well you know i i know um i know you make it out to sturgis but you know maybe sometimes she's ever is out and you come out to the show i'll have we'll have to introduce her to lila and piper oh. everly because lila built she started building her motors first motorcycle at 12 um oh finished at 13 14 years old, she's at Sturgis showing and brought a lot of hardware home. And now a nine-year-old sister is building a bike. So there's some there's some gals she needs to meet because, you know, the age difference, you know, it's going to be a little bit more relatable when she's ready. That's awesome. We're going to go out there, not this year. We're going to skip it again this year. But her okay. birthday is actually during Sturgis. She's well, that's great. I remember you telling yeah. me that last year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. August the 6th is a birthday. And we've got another big birthday planned. So uh, we're going to skip this one. But she'll be a little bit older. She'll be actually four when we go out there the first time. So uh, she'll have a lot more fun. But, yeah, she's a motorcycle fanatic. I'm really, really proud of her. She uh, She's already got two motorcycles of her own. We got the, oh my little, goodness. Uh, the little electric little Harley. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, she's got one of them. And, uh, and you crap. haven't started? Have you started building ramps yet? Come on. We actually got one. I'm not lying to you. We have a ramp. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. I absolutely pushing. love it. I'm not pushing it's her mom. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy doesn't have an agenda, does he? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to blame it on oh, I love it. Day, Mom. I love it. So let's pop up a um pop up another picture. Now, see this picture, I'll tell you what, you know, so I'm thinking about the difficulty of of just doing jumps in general. But here's a jump at, you know, here's a jump at night. How much more does that change the well, dynamics? I love it. I love doing nighttime shows or did. I loved it. it was the, what, what, you know, I did a lot of jumps, but my real job was to go around and do promotions at Harley Davidson dealerships all around the country. And we did a few shows at night. And I'm telling you, know, I'm a festive guy. I do everything, as you probably remember. I do all of my stunt shows with a microphone and my helmet, and I'm constantly rocking tunes and interacting with the crowd. The nighttime shows were by far the best. God, dog, we had so much fun. And, uh, but to my surprise, a lot of the Harley dealers, they wouldn't stay open that one night a week, once a month. You know, they would always close five, six, seven o'clock, whatever, get out of there before dark. But the nighttime shows were by far my favorite. People's emotions are on the edge. Possibly they've been out uh, festive, if you know what I'm talking about. And sure. it's a lot more fun. People are a lot more relaxed and they're excited about what's going on. And, you know, uh, sparks, noise, 
uh, it's, it's all right there. But I love the nighttime shows, uh, possibly because I really couldn't see the danger because I'm not very bright. Uh, but, you know, I like them. The nighttime shows are always the best. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, it's, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, I'm glad to have learned that because I, you know, I was very curious about stuff. So I want to roll into another picture here. There you go. So, Look at that one. That's another one. I mean, okay. So how many buses do we have there? Uh, that's 15 tour buses. That was in downtown Las Vegas for a show called "I Dare You." And uh, believe it or not, Mario, I had no idea they were shooting off that much pyrotechnics in the background. But I was kind of committed. <laughs> they didn't really blow them up till I was midair, and it's like, well, what am I going to do now? Uh, yeah, that's that's impressive. So you didn't know. Cameras. I don't. I don't get. It. I don't know why they did all that, but uh, the job was pretty cool. Um, it was uh, December eighteenth, nineteen ninety nine, right before the millennium. And, okay. Uh, man, Las Vegas was a ghost town. Believe it or not. Uh, Everybody was freaked out by the Y2K thing, but that right there is the official uh, longest Harley-Davidson XR750 jump in the world. I went 157 feet, non-exaggerated. That was the actual distance. Okay. And, uh, landed it. No practice, no short jumps, none of that. Um, we had set up everything, and at the last minute, they wanted to change the direction, so we had to rush. Reset everything, and uh, I got zero practice. I didn't do a short jump. I didn't do it. We we set the ramps up. They put the 15 buses in there. All right, let's go. And uh, thank God I made that one. Woohoo! You're talking about praying. Woo! Why well, bet? Now, you know, for people who don't know, um, you know, you talk about the Harley Davidson XR 750. All right, um, same bike as Evo Knievel. Right. All right. Mine was a little bit more current now. Let's don't get it twisted. Okay. All right. Mine had okay. a lighter weight frame, but uh, other than okay. that, it was, you know, same kind of XR750 anybody else could buy. And then you broke all of his records. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's one of those claims that every motorcycle jumper from 1970 to today, they all claim to broke Evil Knievel's records. And that's cool. You know, there's a lot. Right. That well, cool but thing. there's actually there's actually one record I don't think you broke. What's that? Well, Evil Knievel broke 433 bones, and you only broke you only broke 42. Correct. <laughs> and I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we well, keep that one. I, one of those records he can keep with him, but I don't want that one. Exactly. I, I you know when I you know I think breaking 42 bones it makes me cringe. It yeah, literally makes me cringe. 433? Yeah. yeah. That guy was bananas. I'm telling. Great guy, though. You know, I got to actually become friends with Evil. Very much an interesting guy. You know, when he was doing this, he was the only one really making crazy money, and he was really making a lot of money. And, right. And, um, you know, every time he went anywhere, any, you know, jackass with a dirt bike and a cocky attitude thought they could beat him, so... Uh, you know, he didn't exactly have a whole lot of people coming around him being over the top cool to him. They were always trying to challenge him or whatever. And lucky, luckily for me, somehow or another, I uh, met him at just the right time and we hit it off really good. That's uh, awesome. There was times that he would kind of misunderstand me and, and get kind of pissed off or whatever, but he never, ever was angry with me personally. Um, right. We had none of that. And and by the way, let's not leave out Robbie Knievel. Robbie Knievel is, in my opinion, one of the greatest motorcycle jumpers to ever sure. walk. But imagine being Evil Knievel's son. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. yikes. I wouldn't want that job. But Robbie, another one, super nice to me. Always been super nice to me. Uh, and I got yeah, I've, read, I've met Robbie. Good guy. Of course, I never met, uh, you know, I never met Evil. Yeah. But you're right. Evil would have cast such a big shadow. I mean, how do you get yeah. out from under there? Yeah, and, and you know, I got to witness some of it, and uh, Evil had his time, and I think he kind of overimposed on Robbie a little bit. I think they could have been a great, a great team. 
Uh, I think Robbie would have liked that, but unfortunately, I don't think that was Evil's position. But you know, that's enough of that. I don't want to talk about Evil. He's a great, great guy, great, uh, a great mentor. I really am grateful that I got to meet him. It was like, uh, you know, one of the most charismatic people on earth. And uh, to actually ride down the road with him, and he had one of these Austin Martin cars, and me and him rode down the road one time, and I'm. I'm kind of, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm riding down the road with Evil Knievel. Can you believe that? And, but, um, you know, God rest his soul. Hope everything's going good for him. Uh, yeah. And, you know. Well, and like I, I said, I at least at least you didn't break that one record, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know if that would have made him any happier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? So, who knows? I love it. Oh, boy, look at that one. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm telling you what, I look at that and, um, it, it, it just makes me cringe. And I'm, I look at that one. I think dead gum. What <laughs> crap did I do that for? Why didn't I go just a little faster? So looking back at, at things like this, how, how does that make you feel to look at that? I mean, because obviously in the moment, it would have happened so fast. You're, you're not thinking about it. Maybe you did have an oh shit moment. Well, that's definitely an oh shit moment. But the great thing is, is I don't have any memory of it. Uh, and that's kind of a good thing. If you're a motorcycle jumper and you, you're you're trying to do this for a living, and then as soon as you get well, you got to go back to work because that's how you pay the bills. It's a good thing you don't remember something like that. But uh, I got little flashes of it. The, the last thing I do before I do a motorcycle jump, after all the speed runs, wheelies, hyping the crowd and all that, I go back to my starting position. I uh, uh, raise my visor on my helmet, I nod my head down, I say a quick prayer, um, you know, Lord, watch after me, here we go. I immediately shut my helmet, pull the clutch in, and I go. I don't wait around, you know. I've never I've never been the praying kind of guy that's like, um, okay, did you hear that, God? Uh, we're cool, right? You know, it's never like that for me. Right. Uh, I say my piece, I, it's time to go. So when did I, this happen? Uh, I'm sorry? When did that? When did when did this happen? This July July the fourth, two thousand and one, in Del Mar, California, um, in front of a bazillion people, families. You know, it's kind of one way to get little Johnny excited about watching fireworks. Right. Um, didn't uh, just you know? I was going to the ramp top speed. I'd never used a speedometer, and by all intents and purposes, I should have made the jump. But I had made several speed runs, and that dirt had gotten chewed up because it's oh. a thoroughbred track. Yep. And uh, it's kind of like running in sand, I guess you'd say. At least I didn't realize it at the time. And uh, it robbed me just enough speed. Uh, I actually hit the edge of the safety ramp and uh, catapulted me off of the bike. It busted my pelvis just as soon as I hit it. And oh, it launched okay. me up into the air, and I did a one-and-a-half somersaults, and I landed on my head. And had a major head injury, broke a lot of bones, woke up in the hospital. And uh, I was supposed to go surfing the very next day with a friend of mine named Brian Davis. And uh, woke up in the hospital. And I was like, what? What, what what's going on? I had, no, I had no understanding of how I got there. Aren't we going surfing? And uh, to my surprise, I really wasn't moving all that well. And that's when they told me, said, hey, look, you got hurt real bad. You've been in a coma. Uh, you know, you didn't make the jump. I'm like, well, all right, what do we do now? So right. had all these chest tubes, punctured lungs, all this good stuff, wound up staying in the hospital a month. And uh, get this now, get out of the hospital, finally get home. And then I got called to come up to New York to do a, a, a video montage episode of the Maury Povich show. And I told my agent, I'm like, I am not going to go do the Maury Povich show. Come on now. That's just ridiculous. He said, Bubba, it's, it's a video episode, and they're going to pay you a lot of money. I'm like, all right, let's go see Maury. You know? <laughs> let's go do and, that. Uh, i never forget it. was in the truck, was on the way to the airport, and uh, we was going to make the very first stop we was going to do. Once we landed, we are going to go to the Twin Towers because I've never seen them in person. And about to pull up to the uh, airport in Pensacola, we get a phone call from the Maury Povich people and said, hey, where you at? I says, well, we're almost at the airport. Well, there's been an accident 
an airplane has hit the Twin Towers. Let me call you back. No and, kidding. Yeah, that was the day 911 of, uh, you know, of when the Twin Towers accident happened. So it kind of made me wonder, man, you know, dang near get killed, the motorcycle jumped, and I'm going up to New York for, uh, you know, an interview, and the first thing I'm going to do is go to the Twin Towers, and bam, that happens. That's my yeah, problem. I, I kind of had to evaluate, hey, man, where are you going? You know, you, you know, talk about I've talked to so many people, you know, and you talk about 9-11 and stuff like that and different, you know, different stories and different experiences. And I knew people in this city and stuff. But that's one of the that's that's probably the coolest, most unique story I've heard. Yeah, about. It was uh, it was amazing. And then the, the weird thing is we had a, uh, a television in the uh, truck and I was able to turn it on and I saw the second plane. And yeah, uh, probably one of the most. Um, you know. I don't want to call it unusual, but awakening, you know, that was an awakening moment Sure uh, for, was. for many people to think that we're, you know, here we are in America, which is by far the greatest country on the planet. I know it's got its problems, but man, you get yep. the freedom to be an idiot and make a good living at it. So it's a great country, but we had this false sense of security. And on that day, you know, we were awakened. We, yeah, we had, you know, we had to resolve the fact of our vulnerability as a nation, something that we did not realize that was actually, you know, it could be impactful to our lives, that our tragedy could be brought to our doorstep like that. And Definitely weird, but, you know, we got, uh, we got through it, um, you know, and it, it did waken us. And, um, but at the same time, people like possibly you and I, realize you know what uh, a lot of people think we're crazy for riding motorcycles hey man this is about the only way you can really truly be free and, yes uh, i think motorcycle sales took off and people realize that they're not promised tomorrow to get out and live their lives i've always lived that way i don't ever want to be scared of doing anything that i want to do but number one i'm fully convinced there is absolutely nothing on the planet that any other human being has done that I personally can't do if it's something I truly want to do. And uh, I've always had a real stubborn approach to things like that. Uh, and I know that's really true was, about you. Well, I never was really kind of a crazy daredevil type. I didn't just go out and do wild and crazy things just to say, what'd you think of that? Well, I don't give a damn about that, what your opinions are. It's something I want to do. And we kind of weigh out the uh, risk versus reward kind of a thing. Um, and if you make that, reward worth the risk i'll show you a couple of things you know right but it's been an amazing journey i just i am stunned i look back at some of the things we were able to do all the places i got to go harley sent me to tokyo japan can you imagine redneck bubba in tokyo japan <laughs> went over there and had a wonderful time uh yeah, I've been to Tokyo. They would have. I know they loved you because oh. it's it's amazing how people in Tokyo are. I mean, I was I was there. You know, I was in the service, and I ended up in Tokyo. And these people, they, they, they I was like lost. You know, I wasn't lost, but I wasn't sure what the hell I was going to go do. And the next thing I know, I've got a bunch of you know, I got ten new best friends. That's exactly right. I, hey, you're right. One of the greatest. Uh, experiences that I had. When we first got there, we had an interpreter meet us at the airport. We always were taken care of. But on the very last day, the interpreter put us on the bus and said, hey, bye-bye, see you later. We get to the airport, and then I'm like, holy crap, I don't know how to talk to these people. I don't know what to do. And, but they, instead of being, no, get, leave me alone, they were like, no, come on, we'll find somebody. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. interact. Um. Amazing country, amazing people, great culture. Uh, I'm into that kind of stuff. I love scaring the crap out of myself and learning by, you know, basically being thrown into the deep end of the pool. You kind of figure yeah. it out. Yeah. And, uh, I've always liked that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't want to get hurt, but I'm damn sure not scared of getting hurt. But I just right. love the, I love that weird, that, that sense of like heat that blasts through your body when you're just completely petrified and, <laughs> and you get scared the crap out of you. And, and I just think for whatever reason, that's the coolest feeling in the world. And, and then you survive it. <laughs> I'm with you on that because I've done a lot of things like that that make you a little uncomfortable. Right. And stuff. 
Well, you know what I'm talking about. So I want to back up a little back to back to the jump in Del Mar because you made a statement at that jump to me that I think is it was very very profound. Um, people just don't think about. And so I'm I'm going to read back your statement. Obviously, you're familiar with this, but folks that aren't. When motorcycle jump jumps go really cool and smooth, just about everybody um, there uh, was uh, feels like it was nothing. Okay, but you know, on July 4, 2001, there was not one person there of the 35,000 that came that wanted to take my place. You know, and it's it's very very true. You know, I remember seeing Evil and, and you, and I've seen other people, you know, do jumps or do these things that, you know, are pretty extraordinary that most people don't put them out, put themselves out there. And when they see it done, they, you know, they, they don't have an appreciation for it. But man, when it doesn't go right, <laughs> their views go different. You must be out of your mind, you fool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it, and sometimes it's that way. It's riding motorcycles. You know, I hear people say, you know, um, you know, that, you know, that's, you know, it's a vehicle of death. It's this, it's that and everything else, but they've also never experienced the freedom and the pleasure of being, you know, on a bike and then the wind either. Well, I respect everybody's opinion. I do. Um, sure. but we are different human beings, man. We, we do different things. Uh, uh, I couldn't imagine life without being able to ride a motorcycle. Uh, I don't want to get hurt. I've, I've got 42 broken bones. That crap hurt. The first bone that I broke, man, damn it, that hurt. I remember crying like a little baby. And, uh, you know, the last time I broke a bone, let's see. Well, uh, oh, right here. Um, you know, it snapped. They had to go in there and fix it and all that crap. But, it hurt. This stuff yeah. hurts. But I think the biggest fear that I would have is not knowing any of this stuff, not knowing what pain is. You know, you want to live in a comfort zone your whole life. Well, I'm boring. But that's yeah. just the way a lot of people are, man. They would rather live through a computer, virtual reality and all that. Man, I swear I just don't understand people. I mean, how can you go through life scared of everything and one of my biggest i used to be a big howard stern fan right great entertainer great interviewer i used to love the way he would do interviews till i found out there's a guy named joe rogan that was just as good and not nearly as nasty but i remember <laughs> being a fan of howard's and kind of i watched his movie and i kind of got an idea of how his life was and he has now become this ultra amazing over-the-top wealthy guy who is scared of everything on the planet he doesn't want to ever go do anything he's scared of anybody that does anything oh don't shake hands with me you might have covid my god people i mean are you so scared of absolute i mean imagine the guy's got what a bazillion dollars Mm -hmm. so scared to walk outside without a mask on or don't touch me or, or, or he's just afraid of people with different viewpoints. And I, I'm, I'm literally turned off by people that view life that way. Sure. You got a bazillion dollars that, that when you die, everybody's going to fight over. Hey, I, during COVID, I didn't slow down. I did just as much I travel. There would not have been, the organized, you know, concerts or shows and the county fairs. But you know what? There was still plenty to do. You know, there was still, you know, Sequoia National Forest. And there was, yeah. you know, places like that. There was places to go and things to do. And I did it. You know, well, I went to New Orleans. I was staying at the Four Seasons. And it was an $850 room I got for like 75 bucks. Yeah, well, nobody was there. Right? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a buyer for that. So right. but, why you know, not? I'm, I'm, Having said that, I'm not saying that crap wasn't real, but it was real. A lot of people died, and that's horrible. Yeah. But there was always underlying issues with that stuff, man. And uh, I don't want anybody to die. I lost family yeah. members because of COVID. I did. Right. But those family members weren't that damn healthy. So uh, I hate it. Doesn't make it any easier. But guys, I mean, to be so scared to live, I don't. I just don't. I don't get it. Don't get it. 
you know, I know not everybody's going to want to jump a Harley Davidson over 22 cars. Get that too. But just because it ain't right for you doesn't make it wrong for me. I'm going to live. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's pop up another picture. Oh, boy. Look at that one. That was a good one. That's a cool picture. I like that picture. So tell me about this jump. What that is right there is, um, you know, I jumped over 14 semi-trucks live on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Yes. And if you was to watch that video closely, it was live. Uh, I actually came up just a little bit short. And he didn't call me out on it. Nobody called me out on it. But I always wanted to make sure that I redid that jump and cleared the last truck because I didn't want to claim something I didn't legitimately do. So right before the Del Mar jump, which was already in contract, already had deposits, everything was done, I took the opportunity to redo the semi-truck jump in what used to be my hometown in Foley, Alabama. And um, we, we did that promotion, raised a bunch of money for a kid's park. Okay. And uh, I jumped over them 14 trucks, and it was, li it was uh, not live, but it was videoed for a history channel or no, a travel channel thing. So I got a little paycheck from that too. And um, it was actually a big jump. I went 135 feet, which was actually a little bit shorter than the 22 car jump. So I okay. thought the 22 car jump was just going to be a cakewalk. So I put all of my time and energy into this laser light show that I had uh, bought for my introduction out there in Del Mar because Del Mar paid me quite handsome to do that jump. And uh, in doing all of that, I forgot to put down uh, roll roofing, which is like a consistent surface in front of the takeoff ramp, which probably the reason why I crashed. But that's hindsight. Don't want to worry about that now. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Back now. Yeah, I can't take it back now. But anyway, yeah, that's what that was. I just redid a jump that I did on The Tonight Show and um, turned out really cool, man. We had a lot of fun. Dang near everybody from the town was there and uh, right. had a nice little paycheck. It was, it was a good time. Yeah, I remember you telling me about redoing it. I just I didn't put uh, I didn't put two and two together with the picture when we popped that because now we're going to go into the next picture, which oh, there yeah. you are. So you know, there's there's the uh, the night you're at the Tonight Show, yeah. and you know, and so for people that don't know, you know, because this is kind of fun. Um, you literally had to start out because you didn't have enough room. You had to start out in the studio. Yeah, I did. There was actually a warehouse. And, uh, you know, me, I'm always thinking of these clever things. <clears throat> I, I wanted to make sure I branded that jump. So I turned my trailer, which had my name on the side of it. I turned it to where it came out of that warehouse. I had to go out, turn a quick left back, right. And I had my big old trailer sitting there. Uh, that thing was filmed without a single speed run. Uh, I did speed runs earlier in the day, but I'm sitting there on the couch right there. And I don't know if you can sit in that photo, but right there by my feet is my helmet. Uh, Jay went to commercial break. I stood up, put the helmet on as I was walking out the back door, got on the motorcycle, cranked it up, uh, drove it into the warehouse, turned around with it running. Cause I got it warmed up in advance. And it was a one-shot deal. Whenever he went live to me, I literally, hey, here we go. Let's do this. I let the clutch out and went straight to the ramp without a speed run or anything and um, yeah, made the jump. Got slowed down, turned around, and rode the bike in up on stage. And, and that's pretty that. amazing. Because, you know, the whole interview, I'm full of energy. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be fun. And, you know, plus I'm sitting there next to Jennifer Love Hewitt. Not too bad. And, uh, but when the jump is over with, all of that energy is done. And I come in there and I'm like, <laughs> and you're right. so, so relaxed. It's so amazing. And then Jennifer, uh, they had uh, started a band was playing. Uh, they were doing their set. I think it's Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, which is a great, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what kind of band that is. Some kind of music. And the whole time Jennifer's just trying to talk to me and, I couldn't hear her, and I was just so laid back after not dying. And, uh, <laughs> I always kind of wondered, why well, she's kind of cute, you know? Uh, I sure. should have talked to her a little bit more that day. Oh, it was just the, it was the time. So, oh, yeah. I mean, 
And, you know, we, we both know, I mean, Leno's, you know, he's such a huge motorhead as it is. So how, you know, I think he must've been kind of, you know, intrigued by meeting you because, you know, he meets a lot of people, but he loves anybody to do with motorcycles, cars and stuff like that. Would that be true with you? Yeah. Oh yeah. He can't eat. I've done a bunch of television shows, not as big as The Tonight Show, and you don't meet the host because they're looking for that spontaneity once you come out on stage. Not Jay. Jay was in, uh, he was always coming out there, looking this set up, and uh, he came back to my um, dressing room before the show started, told me all about his bites, and he asked me a bunch of questions, you know, and, uh, and to my surprise, He's not exactly the biggest evil can evil fan because I kind of thought maybe that's how I struck the interest. But uh, um, no, you know, I got that one on my own merit. He just thought what I was doing was really cool. And I remember a couple of years later, a lot of the executives had gone to the airport to pick Jay up when he came to visit Harley during the 100th. And uh, he said all Jay could talk about was hanging out with me that day and man i just thought that was so cool and that is him, cool him saying that to the executives at harley davidson kind of, you know that kind of helped me out a little bit too so uh, <laughs> yeah, that, did. That, was, that was a good day <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that Not at now all. uh didn't didn't one of your uh one of your 750s uh sell Meekum a while back ago yeah it did um there Let's see, there is a friend of, I bought, here's here's the full story of the red bike. Um, I did my very first tour in 1995. I went, uh, I left Bowen County, Alabama, went all the way up to Washington State, and I had a couple of shows booked up there. Uh, one or two of them got rained out, then I got ready to do another one, and, and in the meantime, some guy came to the uh, to one of the shows, and he said, "Hey, man, I got an XR750 for sale. Are you interested?" I said, "Well, what you got?" He goes, "Well, he said it's it's a real nice, fairly decent XR750, but I got the top end off of it." And I said, "Well, what are you asking for?" He says, "I'll take twenty five hundred dollars," and I'm like, "What?" And you know, I got to go look at this. So I went over there, and man, it was a really nice chassis. The wheels, everything is there. Even the cases were polished. I mean, it was a really nice bike at one time, but he had the top end off of it. And he also had $2,500 because I took that son of a gun. So I got that motorcycle, and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited, you know, because all of my other jump bikes were owned by George Schott, which is a, a really successful businessman up in uh, Maine, up in Lewiston, Maine, or Auburn, okay. Maine. And uh, so here I am. I'm going to have the very first one of my own. So I paid the guy, got the motorcycle, stuck it in the trailer. And we still had another show to do up there, which was the first time I had a really bad crash up in Portland. And I got hurt really bad. You got this nice little reminder since 1995. Oh, yeah, that's pretty. Uh, yeah, I got hurt. and I was going to be out of work for a while. But rather than go home, New York Mike from San Diego Harley said, hey, look, come down here. The, the Harley dealer convention is going to be here. And I said, uh, okay. So I went down there and Mike had me set up a booth. I sold a whole bunch of t-shirts. And, but while I was there, uh, Bruce Rossmeyer came over and said, Bubba, we're going to do the very first uh, Biketoberfest. I got right. a heavy jump. And he said, uh, what, what just happened? I said, well, I crashed jumping 13 cars. He goes, well, what do you want to do? I says, well, I want to prove that that was just a fluke. Let's do 14. 14 cars. And so that's the way <laughs> I did it. I came back. But while I was still in San Diego, I was laid up for a while. So I actually wound up selling that motorcycle to a really good friend of mine and a guy from New Zealand. He was staying in San Diego at the time. His name is John Howard. And uh, we stayed in touch. John got the bike completely rebuilt. And uh, he asked me, would I at least write a, a letter of authenticity for it? And I said, absolutely. So I did all of that. And uh, he sold the bike. And I think he got a pretty decent chunk for it. And I was glad to help him out because he helped me whenever I really needed it. But the cool thing is I went down there and October rolled around. And there's 14 cars in the middle of uh, uh, whatever road that was, the beach road, I think it is, right in front of Daytona yeah. Harley, the old one. 
And uh, I remember Bruce was sweating like crazy. He was so scared because he kind of put his neck out there on the line for me. And thank God I made that jump. And it was at night. So, you know, the crowd went bananas. Oh, yeah, especially there. Man, I tell you what, Bruce Rossmeyer, he is he's sorely missed. He was such uh, that's an iconic character. I mean, what yeah. what what his contribution to motorcycles and Harley Davidson specifically, uh, I think that's going to just stay unmatched. What And he was such a he was wonderful to me and he was uh, wonderful to a lot of people. And I'm sure glad that we had that experience. Yeah, I've heard that from so many people. I I never knew him personally, but, uh, you know, you and I both have a lot of friends in common that knew him well and stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's what he's always heard. He, he left a heck of a legacy behind. And, you know, his, you know, his, what he's done and way he helped develop Daytona and make it what it is today. I mean, it, it it's it's grown because of him and it's it's because it's such a it's a great rally in great part because of his efforts yeah and he's got great kids getting involved and you know yep. keeping the whole legacy going i i see uh shelly rossmeyer i mm-hmm. uh billy lane is a friend of mine and he asked me to do the the flagging at some of the sons of speed races and uh and life is good i do what i want to do i don't do anything i don't want to do anymore i uh I, I would rather go do something that I enjoy doing slap for free than get paid or asked to do stuff for big money. Cause uh, I recently turned down a really big, really big offer to do uh, two stunt shows. And I just told him, I said, you know, guys, I really appreciate it, but I'm done. I, I'm just done. I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, I don't exactly. want to put in the effort that it takes to come back and do something spectacular you know i could do it i got all the stuff but i just but the fact know, the fact that you can say i'm done totally you know, done. got and a lot of respect for that and the blessing about all of that is is i don't miss it i swear i don't i miss Good. the i miss being in front of the fans i miss being a showman because uh I still don't think anybody can touch me working a crowd but that's that's my <laughs> that's just the way i view it but uh but i uh I, I've got a whole new life, man. Uh, things are great. Um, making a freaking fortune, you know. I love what I just love what I'm doing. I'm just I'm just blown away. I, I, I bought well, my semi truck, and, and it's funny some of the things you're saying because I want to pop up a couple pictures because we're ahead of ourselves. Yeah, so you were, that? yeah, exactly. So now um, you going to Nashville for uh, the Sun Speed races there? You gonna wave flag for Billy there? Well, we hadn't talked about that one. I will be going back down in October for the one at Daytona, but okay, uh, you know, we we live a, a things are good, and we go a lot. We go every weekend somewhere. Uh, this past weekend, we went down to Road Atlanta, watched the uh, Moto America races. Yeah, and I mean, we're always going. We just came back from Phoenix for Easter. Yeah, we're going to go back out there. We're going back out there in June. Uh, we're going to all these different car events. We're going to um, uh, we're going to Barber for the uh, the uh, vintage stuff that they're yeah. Doing. That's the vintage Barber is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, motorcycle flat track racer Mike Hacker. He's got a really big motorcycle race that he does over in uh, Virginia. Uh, I'm going to yeah. flag that race for him. Um, I I'm, I'm just. Man, I'm just the luckiest guy on the planet. I was able to flag one year for American Flat Track, and uh, I enjoyed that greatly. But one year is about all I could stand to that. I, I Look, I'm like any other motorcycle guy. I It requires an ego to go out and be a showman and, and wear the, the, the suit and entertain the people. But I've always felt that I could turn that crap off because it wasn't real. That's not how you really live your day to day. When I was with American Flat Track, I was around some of the biggest egos I've ever seen in my life who did not have the luxury of knowing how to turn off your machismo ego that I personally could give a shit about. I don't care for that type of um, attitude. And right. what could have been the greatest job of my life 
uh, was a struggle and a hassle because uh, there's so many egos and assholes involved in American flat track that it's just, I couldn't take it anymore. And so I turned in my re- uh, letter of recommendation, or res- whatever you call the damn thing. Resignation. Head injuries. The resignation. Uh, right after the checkered flag in Atlanta. And not looking back. They don't have enough money to pay me to do that again. I'm over it. Um, I, got, I got to tell you, I, I am impressed with the pose you strike there. It looks like you've been doing yoga and stuff that? like that. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I, I like to get real animated out there with the flags because, uh, you know, I know that's part of the show. But the number one job that I do when flagging is I want to make sure they can see the flags. I don't like that sure. stock car waving the flags. You don't even really know what flag it is. So I just do a little bit of maneuvering and make sure when they come by, the flags are where you can see it. Yep. And uh, I take a little bit of pride in it, but also them white pants, baby. I like those. That way you don't miss me. I don't want you to hit me. I got 42 broken bones. I don't need 43. Yeah, you don't need any more. No, I'm done. <laughs> so I want to roll into I want to roll into this picture. We got Ooh. that one. I thought that was another great one. I just loved uh, what I what caught me on this one is the cameraman down below. Yeah. Getting the money shot. Yeah, that was uh that was Really, believe it or not, that was a crazy day at Mobile International Speedway. We were filming only in America with Larry the Cable Guy. And oh, God. That day was so ridiculously hot. And I was jumping over a bunch of Coca-Cola trucks. And we were really, everybody was struggling that day. But uh wound up having one of the best times ever. Let me tell you, uh, if you ever get the chance to meet Larry the Cable Guy, do it. He is quite possibly one of the uh, most engaging, decent, fun to be around celebrities you'll ever meet in your life. He is such a good dude. Um, we had a blast. But, you know, I've seen him a couple of times since then. And um, actually, we're, we're, uh, he follows me on Twitter and I follow him, of course. And I don't have many celebrity uh, followers. Uh, Travis Trent, he follows me for some reason, which I love Travis Trent. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but that, you know, I, I'm not really big into all that stuff. I love social media and what it can do. Thank God my career was over before that became such a big deal because I don't have the time to invest in all that stuff. Uh, I'm too busy, you know, having fun. Me, Jocelyn, and Harley are out playing too much to be worried about posting it on social media <laughs> no i get it i get it and I, and I and that's really good to hear about larry the cable guy because you know you know there's there's people out there and we know you, know, you hear the stories about the assholes but you don't often hear the stories about the good ones and it's yeah, nice well, to know about the good ones so well everybody knows jay leno's awesome because he is yeah. uh but but larry the cable guy that's he is everything you would ever want in a celebrity. He is a very approachable. I remember we were filming that day, and the way that show always worked is wherever Larry would be performing at, they would squeeze in an episode they'd spend all day filming. Well, that night, he was doing his comedy routine at one of the casinos in Biloxi, Mississippi. And we had gone long. We were filming a whole bunch, and they were trying to get him out of there, and there was a big crowd of people. And my cousin at the time... Uh, was a Larry the Cable Guy fanatic. I'm talking about just crazy. And he got there really late. And he had been, I think he'd done two or three tours over in Iraq. And everybody was trying to get Larry up. And I was able to get to Larry really quick right before they left. And I was able to say, Larry, look, I know you're busy, but my cousin just got here. He's a, you know, he's a Iraq veteran. He loves you. Would you at least say, you know, just wave at him or hello? Larry stopped, got out of the car, made sure they waited on him. He spent extra time with him, hugged him, signed his hat. And uh, from that That's moment awesome. on, like, man, you're, you're, you're a legend to me. That's awesome. That's, I, I love that, you know, and the fact that he just slows down his own world for somebody else. And, you know, that's – I think that's, you know, you and there's some other people, you know, that I, you know, I have a, a lot of admiration for that – 
aren't big egos. And you're one of those guys that I know it's sit down and talk to you. You always make that person that's in front of you, who maybe is in awe of meeting you, you make them feel like they're more important, you know? And that's, and that's a, that's a talent, man. That's a talent. And I, and I think that's just really shows to the pureness of your heart. Uh, I don't, I don't really know. I'd call it a talent. I would like to like to, you know, review that as maybe authenticity because best life. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a poor kid from Alabama. I went to 14 different schools. Never lived in one place very long because the rent would come due and we'd have to go. And uh, you know, we just you know, we just barely got by. Right. Uh, but I, I was always a dreamer, and thank God, I always had a bicycle, and I always got to ride that bicycle thinking it was a motorcycle. And sure, uh, man, I just I just I, I I literally believe, and you're not going to tell me any different, even if you had proof that it's not true. I really believe I can do anything. I, I, I just do. I've always had that attitude. I've always had that feeling that something special was going to happen. Um, didn't really know exactly what it was, but I just always pursued motorcycles. That was always something that kept my attention. Um, I could literally get on a motorcycle right now and ride in my backyard and have the best time. Uh, sure. you know? But I was able to think about it because there's a lot of guys with a bunch of balls who think they can go out there and do crazy stuff and people would you know, pay to see them. And that's not really the case. You've got to have a little bit of a business plan. Uh, yeah. You can't just go out there and be wild and crazy and think people are going to beat a path to your door. Because a multi-billion dollar like Harley Davidson is not going to get behind a fool that's going to go out there and, you know, damn near kill himself every time. So you kind of have to walk that fine line of being a showman, wild, crazy daredevil. But you got to have common sense that says you're not going to put in jeopardy a multi-billion dollar corporation. So for that part, I'm super grateful. But mostly, man, I, I got to live a dream. Uh, I got to go all over the world riding the world's greatest motorcycle. And and that's outstanding. And I want to go, and I think that's a great way to go into our next picture here. Yeah, look at that. Let's talk, let's talk about dreams. Because um, I think I was, I was actually, we were having conversations when you were going out to get this, this bad boy. That's exactly right. We were. Yeah. yeah and so. Uh, that's my Kenworth bought and paid for. And so get, tell everybody, so, you know, in case they haven't put two and two together, tell everybody what you're doing now. What I'm doing now is, is you can't jump and do stunts on a motorcycle forever. Um, late in life, I got a divorce, started life completely from scratch. I have, I had my real nice truck and my real nice trailer, a whole bunch of motorcycles, huge sound system. I had all of my relationships. Everything was great but I had a bag of change and I moved up here to Chattanooga. Uh, me and Jocelyn started a new life um, from scratch. Thank goodness. Uh, Jossie's an engineer. So she's, uh, she's getting by quite well without me, but fell in love, just um, started life completely over. I live in Soddy Daisy, Tennessee. Yeah. Look that one up, would you? And um, started from scratch. One thing I always kept was my CDL. I was a Coca-Cola route salesman, which we talked about that earlier. Yeah. Um, and when I was a Coca-Cola driver, I had a CDL and I always kept it fresh. I mean, every time it would come to, I'd always renew my CDL because I always had to have a fallback plan. Never really thought I'd use it. So I moved up here and the motorcycle industry, as you well know, is kind of slowing down. The, the shows and the bookings were slowing down and I'm in the 50s now. So, duh, it's going to slow down. And I was kind of thinking, well, what am I going to do? You know, Jossie's getting up, going to work every single day. And here I am on the couch. We're going to do some of the AFT motorcycle races on the weekends, certain weekends. But by and large, I'm just sitting here getting fat. And um, my first cousin drives for, uh, at the time, the company was called Milan. He said, uh, look, why don't you come drive for us? He said, you, you won't make any money, but you'll be home every weekend. And I'm like, oh, okay. Mario, I started doing it, and it scared me because I liked it. I liked it. 
I wasn't making any money, but I liked it. And it really bothered me because I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a very ambitious guy and I'm barely making enough money to keep the bills paid. And sometimes I wasn't. And so I started having a bad attitude about it. I was like, golly, this, this is ridiculous. I know I can do better. And it's kind of like I woke up one day, God smacked me on top of the head and said, hey, old man, you wasn't exactly going to be doing this the rest of your life. Uh, you better look around you and, and uh, realize that the only thing you got as a fallback plan is uh, CDL. You might want to learn about the trucking business. And luckily, I came across a podcast called Hauling Assets. And it's a okay. uh, podcast by a guy who was corporate Flying J. He decided to get a CDL, buy a used truck, get his own authority, and learn how to create a trucking company by himself, document it, and make a podcast out of it. That's cool. To, I mean, my God, man, I, he laid it out. Everything, everything you could ever want to know, he's got it for you. Hauling assets. And um, so with that information, I sold two of my stunt bikes. And I got $25,000 and I started my trucking company with $25,000 and it was the best move in the world. I cannot believe how blessed we are. Things are just fantastic. Um, I now we're, I'm part of a real small group. I haul steel tubing out of Trenton, Georgia. Uh, I do a lot of backhauls. If my trailer is going down the road and it's empty, I'm pretty aggravated because I love keeping that truck busy, but I'm home on Friday and I'm off Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, you can't ask for a better deal than that, no. but the income is just ridiculous. It's a great time to own your own truck and your own trailer and be in the trucking business because uh, America needs you. There's a lot of freight. Freight rates are spectacular now. Uh, yeah, the fuel's up there, but if you're scared, say you're scared. Stay at your dead-end job, whatever. But if you really want to make something of yourself, it's a great time. It's a great opportunity. And uh, I'm just super blessed, man. Trucking industry is the greatest thing I thought I could find. I used to tell people all the time that I love doing the stunts. I love doing the shows. But more than anything, I like to load up my trailer, go in and take a shower, and get behind the wheel and do the adventure that is Discover America going to those shows. Yeah. And, that's kind of the way I view trucking right now. And it's, it, you know, and I, and I see these things and you're, you're talking about it and you're always so excited and you're so positive about it, you know, and it's just, it's good to hear it. And the fact is, you know, you went from, you know, you went to, went from the motorcycle world and you know, the brotherhood, sisterhood that is, yeah. and now you're in the trucking industry and that's just a strong, you know, it's just, it's a hell of a group of people for the most part. It really is. Um, I'm pretty aware and I size people up pretty quick, whether or not they're full of S and, yeah. uh, and there's a lot of that in trucking. My goodness, there's a lot of that. And you just got to love it. Cause uh, I just went to road Atlanta, got to hang around a lot of motorcycle guys that hadn't been around in a while. They're just as full of crap as they've ever yeah. been. And you just got to love that. Um, if you're not comfortable in your own skin, how can you hang around other people and have a good time? Because people are just full of shit, Mario. You know that. We all are. And, and if you're not comfortable enough to just enjoy the stories and the good times that are the motorcycle arena, turn this daggum broadcast off because you're just not identifiable. Because, uh, man, the motorcycle world is just phenomenal. The trucking industry is about the same thing, just a little bit different. Uh, but, man... I'm just out here living life. I love so, it. I'm having so much fun. So what what aspects of the trucking life now would you say really appeals to you? I mean, you know, there's so many different things, you know, talking to truck drivers. And, and we have a, a business that I work for that, you know, we, we have a lot of interaction with the trucking world. Sure. Um, you know, it was a mid-American you know, mid trucking show not that long ago. But, you know, it's. You, know, you hear guys say different things. You know, some people say the money. Some people say the road. Some people say the adventure. They say the people they meet. Getting to see America. All right. You've seen America. You've met all kinds of people. You've done so many of these things. So is it, what is it for you? For me, it's everyday work, waking up, 
the freedom adventure around every corner. Just last Friday, I was going over, I was delivering to uh, Chicago Tube up in Gainesville, Georgia. Had a huge accident right in front of me. I'm talking about cars spinning around, yeah. hitting each other right in front of me. And um, I, I saw that. It, it happens. Those kind of things happen. But, but, but the, it's life, man. I mean, you're out there enjoying it. You're getting to see different things. And I'm just always, I've always been an enthusiastic person. If I'm going to wake up, I'm looking for the adventure. I want to enjoy the day. I want to, by the time sun gets ready to come down, I want to be war slap out because I've been right. hunting all day. Um, but that's what trucking offers. But again, Mario, you know this. You can make a lot of money driving a truck. And yeah. it's not the amount of money you make, it's how much you keep. Right. That's where the trick to trucking is. And um, it's all available to you. Um, by the way, the, the Hull and Assets podcast, I wound up being the very first guest they ever had on their show. And that was that was right at a year ago. And the owner of the podcast, uh, Chris, he called me just last week and said they want to do a one-year update with me. And I'm super excited, man. I didn't – I'm not setting out to make my name in trucking because – Right. To be honest with you, I want to stay in a one-man operation. I don't want the hassles of people that you can't count on. I'm doing just fine for me and my family with just this one truck. I'm not going to say that it might not grow one day, but right now is not the day. I, I'm just loving life. Well, and, and I have an idea for Chris. You need to connect us, see if he's willing, because uh, oh. I'd like to talk to him. Sure. So, yeah. So, so. Listen, this is this has been so much fun. I've I've really enjoyed it. And and what's really fun for me is that Bubba, I think, you know, I, I want people to know, you know, to get a little bit, you know, more familiar with you and, and the guy that you are. Well, um, I appreciate that. And I think we've done that. We wrap up every every one of our shows, we wrap up with three questions for our guest. Okay. All right. So this so this is your time. I'm not gonna call it the hot seat because I really don't see it as the hot seat. All right. Um, but, you know, the, the reactions of these things, you know, and, and what people say, you know, I just I find it interesting and because of this motorcycle world. So first question I have for you, if you could go ride with anybody dead or alive. OK, who would that be? Huh. Boy, how did that's a good one. Um, Malcolm Smith. OK, that's a good answer. So tell tell me why. Because he's got the right attitude. He did some amazing things, contributed to the motorcycle industry beyond many. And he always had a smile on his face and was, you know, looked like he'd be just one of them kind of cool guys. So mirror image of you. They're both the same. It's kind of like a mirror image of you. So oh, well, thanks. There you go. Okay. So um you know, we know, you know, with the 750s, obviously, that's a sweet spot bike for you because performing on them. But, you know, if you could own or have any motorcycle, what would that be? Probably the one I'm thinking about going and getting. Well, let's hear it. A Ducati Hypermotard. But I'm afraid I'll lose my license if I have something like that. <laughs> Yeah, and you now now you I and mean, you used to have a pretty strong relationship with Ducati back in the day, right? No, 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 no. Ducati, I'm thinking Buell. I'm thinking Buell. Yeah, my bad. Buell, yeah, I'm, I was thinking Buell. Yeah, that's but, that. But in all honesty, the bike that I'm probably going to go get, I I'm probably going to have to go get me a uh, a new street glide, street glide or road glide. Sure. Yeah, because uh, my bike, the bike that used, the bagger that I used to wheelie in the shows. I, I just, you know, thank God I've never scratched it, never laid it down, and I'm just too afraid to ride it. I want to clean it, detail it, and put it in the living room. I'm tired of riding it. Right. There you go. Too scared I, to hurt it. <laughs> I get it. So last but not least, uh, and maybe we should, you know, I don't want to put this, we shouldn't say a jump, but we're going to leave it at a ride. If you can go anywhere in the world and ride, if you could, where would you like to go ride? Black Hills, Sturgis. Is it any better? No, you know, 
I kind of agree with you there. You know, that's what that's what makes Sturgis special. That's what I try to tell people. That's when people talk about Sturgis, I'm like, it's not the party. It's the riding. I don't even drink. How boring am I? <laughs> now, you're never going to be boring. My God. Bubba, I think if we put a couple of drinks in you, okay, being the personality you are, I mean, I don't know if we could deal with all that. I'm so. willing to try. <laughs> <laughs> you're willing to try. Oh, we could probably make that happen. But now you're right. You know, the Black Hills, being in the Black Hills, you know, riding um, or even going down the Needles Highway and going down the Custer. That's what makes Sturgis great is all the riding. That's you know, exactly go over right. the Devil's Tower. I mean, there's so much stuff, you know. Um, you know, it's just, you know, that's uh, that's what people don't realize. I think that's something, you know, uh, the Four Corners Rally down in Durango. Right. You know, I think that that rally has potential to grow because there's a lot of good riding out there. That's, yeah, I, I knew that too, yeah. Yeah, and but, I think... We had, uh, Jossie and I went out there in 20, 2018 and we rented a bike from, um, from Black Hills Harley, man, that was probably the greatest motorcycle ride we've ever had. We had a really good time. Yes. Yes. I, I believe that it's, it's a wonderful time. So that's so well, not this year, next year, we'll see you out there. We'll you know, there we, 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 listen. Um, I know you know Woody, so we'll make sure you know you're on grounds or something like that. But uh, we usually host a couple of dinners and stuff where everybody just shows up and hangs out and stuff. And we have a we usually have quite the cast of characters there, so you'll fit right in. So you're well, gonna good. have to join us. Well, man, I tell you, I really have enjoyed hanging out with you guys. I hope everybody enjoys the show. Uh, uh, I guess you're supposed to do the 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 social media plug HD Jumper. Enter the what is that Instagram, Twitter, yeah, HD Jumper, or I, I don't know, whatever. Just, just if you're interested, check it out. If you're not, don't, I don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit, brother. All right, I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll be connecting soon, buddy. All right, take care. I look, I look forward to it, man. Thanks for having me on. You guys ride safe out there, don't be jumping nothing. Get video if you do. Absolutely, thanks, Bubba. See you, brother.